keep uh, Eric and Laura in prayer. Eric's sister has been um, battling cancer and was given just a few months to live a few months ago, and uh, they've belie- been believing for healing for her in Texas, and now they're uh, thinking just a few days away. And at the same time, Dan and Debbie are waiting any moment for a new baby to be born. So dramatic things for both families. But let's, what was your sister's first name? Is your sister's first name? Allie? Sis, that's your sister-in-law. That's your brother's. Okay. All right. But down in Texas? Okay. And it's Allie now. Okay. Lord, we just, uh, again, stand in prayer for Allie and uh, um, how fearfully and wonderfully she's been made by you. You've ordained her days. Uh, She will not leave one day early nor stay one day longer. Uh, It's hard for us to comprehend and understand how a young mom with kids and a family that, uh, but Lord, you know beyond us, and we pray peace over the family. We pray confidence in your divine purposes and your will being done, that only you could have something birthed up out of out of the, the burnt ashes of our life. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we just pray against the lies of the devil that want to blame you, um, and because uh, you are the giver of life. And through it all, may you be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. So, and then Dan has his cell phone on, and if it buzzes at the wrong time, he's going to run out. It's not because he's under conviction of the Holy Spirit and running from Jesus. Okay, so don't judge him. My title today has little to nothing in common with the book by the title, The Never-Ending Story, nor the movie of the same title. Unless you think, Pastor Lance, when you preach it is a never end, you know, but, or, or wow, that Lance couldn't be more weird. And then he goes on and on with stranger things. So, but, uh, so I've expanded it from the never ending story to the never ending eternal story. And that kind of explains my preaching over the last few years, uh, the story of God is where I began in the old building. I remember it over a year ago before we moved and kind of starting with first and second Samuel and the kings of, of Israel and then the kingdom divided and then the leadership and God speaking to them and then the arrival after the, you know, first Samuel and some of first and Kings and then some of the Chronicles and, you know, that was my, and then, you know, moving into the, the king of kings arriving in Matthew, part of Matthew, and then the last, you know, I don't know, 20 chapters of Luke that I focused on. And in brief, brief summary, that's kind of what it has been over the past, um, I think, three years now. The gospel of the king of kings arriving, and he teaches, he dies, he, he rises again. And, and as we finished Luke just a few weeks ago, or I did, using that as kind of a discipline to keep me going uh, not just chronologically, but kind of topically. Like if you keep preaching in succession, you don't just pick the stuff you like and speak about what you want. Uh, you know, there's challenging things. There's things that I'm not good at that I got to preach about anyway. You know, it doesn't mean that I got it all worked out because I'm speaking the words of Jesus and sometimes very convicting to me. And sometimes, you know, it's something maybe I feel like I have a stronger grip of, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it anyway. 
And we finished the book of Luke. It's a very detailed account of Jesus' life and, and his ministry and then God's plan to redeem us humanoids. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, the first couple, that the, the, the men who follow God and then all those who led Israel and all the prophets the Lord set, sent, it was sadly clear that God was an, unable to get through the thick hearts of us humanoids on the earth. So God devises a divine plan. God himself comes to earth in the form of Jesus and lives as a man, walking in flesh and bone, to understand our culture in a dynamic way, and then to speak God to the humankind, to interpret, because no one had ever been in the heavenlies before. Nobody knows what language they use in heaven, and, and what God will be speaking to us in, you know, and how that will all play out, but... But Jesus comes to earth and then is able to interpret, to tell us, you know, if you've ever stood around the conversation, you've heard a couple pe people speaking in Spanish and you're like, oh, I wish I could understand. And then, you know, there's somebody else who understands both and they're, they're relaying to you and you're trying to understand. And I, I think of that like Jesus coming out of this kingdom and he's trying to, he's our interpreter. He's trying to, he's trying to speak God for us and help us understand what the Lord wants to make us, to make a, and also to repent this broken relationship that sin had put between mankind and God. And Luke masterfully tells the way of Jesus, his virgin birth, surrounded by heavenly messengers, visiting angels, shining star, pointing to Jesus' arrival. Jesus lives really a pretty obscure life until he interprets until he erupts on the scene at 30 years old, you know, and when Jesus erupts on the scene, I mean, he goes viral like no social media star of his time or probably since had ever noted, you know, kind of to happen on earth. And then after 40 days in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil, Jesus begins to go public and his ministry erupts like lightning in a bottle. Luke 4, he drives out demons. Luke 5, he heals lepers when he lays hands on them. Luke 6 says that the crowds begin to follow Jesus so massively that, and, and chapter 7 records where he raises a dead boy to life. Luke casts out demons in chapter 8, heals a sick woman, raises a dead girl back to life. Luke chapter 9, he feeds the 5,000 by multiplying the, the bread and the fish. In Luke 10, he sends his disciples out to do the ministry, to do the same things that he had done. And then Luke chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, those are 16, are mostly the parables of the Lord, that Jesus is this amazing storyteller, and he has this uh, teaching brilliance, and it helps folks understand God's way in the real-life situations that they could, that they could uh, connect with. Uh, how to talk to God, he teaches. How, how to pray, our Father who art in heaven. He teaches about the evil forces that are around us. He teaches about the signs of the times, about being a light in the midst of darkness, about warnings about money, about selfish, selfishness, about how to get along with other people. He taught about repentance and faith and the cost of discipleship and the danger of religion, God's heart for the lost, how to invest 
invest your time, how to invest your energy, how to invest your money, all in these unique storytelling ability that people go, yeah, I've had that kind of feeling when I've talked to people. I've had that feeling before in the marketplace. I've had that feeling before when, when relationships were broke off from relatives. And then the gripping reality Jesus teaches about eternal separation from God. And then Luke 17 through 21 are mixed with healings, like healing of the leopard and kids swarming Jesus. And Jesus is talking about the little kids and their faith. Jesus teaches about sin and faith and duty. He teaches about the persistence in prayer and the sad story of a young, wealthy entrepreneur who was challenged with, do you want to walk with God or do you want to just keep uh, give away your money? And, and the sad young entrepreneur who chooses money over favor and relationship with God. The blind see a greedy tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus repents. Jesus teaches about uh, what God has given you. And then in a dramatic shift, Jesus ends this whole parable block of Luke's chapter 17 and 21, or these teaching blocks, with predicting his own death. When you're an amazing teacher, miracle worker, morally perfectly pure like Jesus, sinful earthlings are insecure around you. Sinful people are threatened by that purity. Religious people and dynamic leaders are are uh, jealous of your ability to move a crowd, of your, your ability to know kind of the heartbeat and the pulse of the culture and which things to challenge with confidence and which things to let go. There's a lot of jealousy. I played golf uh, for the second time in the last three golf seasons uh, on Friday. I had a really fun time, by the way, and uh, I didn't use any words that I wouldn't be embarrassed about. And uh, it went pretty well. But there were some really serious players there. I mean, like our team, we had an amazing back nine. And, and when we started the back nine, we birdied one, two, three, four, five, six holes in a row. And we were one of the three Randy Huber teams. So our goal was to win the Huber Open, just our three teams, because we knew there was some real golf stars, serious time. I played in that tournament before, and some team was like 15, 16 under. The team that won it was 22 under in 18 holes. Like, you know, uh, like that means they eagled the par fives and they birdied every hole. So there must have been like four, four players like me all on one team. Just amazing. You know, must, it must have been. It just wasn't. But you know what I found myself when I heard about their score and I, I knew they were really good? I found myself going, well, of course they've dedicated their life to something as foolish as golf. You know, like I was battling these these thoughts in my brain like, you know, well, well they're probably not a very good Christian because they golf all the time. And they're obviously they don't have a life outside of golf like I do. And then I, I go, oh, they they think they're so much better than me. And then everybody around me goes, they're so much better than you. <laughs> oh, I thought I was just thinking that, but they really are. But imagine Jesus and his arrival and the leadership, the people that are the Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, they're threatened by by this person, you know, that they would see as a rising star that they can't, they don't have any mud on him. 
They're just confused by what he's saying. So there's all this fake news circulating about, Jesus said he's going to tear down this temple. He's gonna, it's going to be in rubble in three days. And, you know, like, it took us hundreds of years, and we just did this massive re- reconstruction right now, and it's got fresh gold, and everything's polished, and he says it's going to be destroyed in three days. You can imagine Jesus in today's media circus, there would be so much fake news about him. Uh, you know, uh, like I've heard him over the years, even as a as a pastor studying what other people have said. You know, they say like Jesus had affairs with these other women. That's why he had prostitutes around him or the one disciple that he was closest to, that it was John the Beloved, that it was a homosexual relationship. There's all these bogus rules that are blasphemy that are circulated around Jesus. That he, because he'd never married. And they've tried to lead people astray because they're jealous. And their lies and their fears of, especially in Jesus' day, fears that God actually knows their hearts. That, that the Lord knows their, their thought life. That the Lord knows the intentions and the hidden sins that everybody who heard him had. Everybody who heard the perfect one from heaven above speaking, their own sin cast a shameful shadow over them. And I can understand why they were uncomfortable. I remember once going to these meetings, having this guest speaker at our church. And it was promoting that it was a person of signs and wonders and that they could... They could know thoughts, and they'll call your sins out in front of everybody. I mean, wouldn't that be embarrassing? Like, right? Like a real, have you ever had that? Like you heard about so-and-so, such a, and, and, and she'll, she'll call out your sins right there. And I just remember on the way to the church going like, dear Jesus, I just want to confess every sin possible right now before you. I know you've forgiven me. If I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me all my sins and cleanse me of my, all of my unrighteousness and not shame me in front of a thousand people. You know, because because this this gal, she was known to be like you, sir, right there. Uh, The Lord has a word for you. And so I was really self-conscious of it. Can you imagine then in the presence of Jesus, knowing your own struggle, knowing your pride, knowing your judgmental spirits, knowing your foolishness while claiming to be wise, even among the religious leaders? And it makes sense to me that those in leadership were threatened, that they spread rumors about him, that they made up an exaggerated fake news about him, all attempting to derail Jesus' leadership and his ministry, to secure their own place, their own power and security. And Luke concludes the last chapters of Jesus' story with this uh, fury as the Messiah enters into Jerusalem and he sacrifices the uh, his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This moment is approaching in real time for Jesus and everything begins to kind of intensify. There's a lot of more hostility towards him. He, he, he refuses to entertain questions anymore. Judas is, takes a bribe and sets up Jesus. And betrays Jesus so he'll be arrested. Jesus gets together with the disciples in the serious Last Supper. And, and everything's kind of heavy. And Jesus washes their feet. And he, he shares with them what he, the, greatest, he, the, the greatest truth so far. That, 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 that you should love one another. That you should serve one another by washing their feet. It says he showed them the greatest extent of his love. Like that's the furthest love that he could do is by serving you. And then his arrest. 
is bogus arrest. And a hearing starts. A hearing. And once the collaboration of the religious arrogant and the pagan powerful converged, they slaughtered God on an altar shaped like a cross. Three days later, the Son of God burst through the dark clouds and Jesus explodes from the grave. And Luke ends with, he's starting to appear and disappear before people. He's starting to show up here and speak to these people and then transports, disappears, and then shows up back again and then disappears and he shows up over there. He's beginning to explain to those about his mission and they're just in awe. It's amazing to them. They thought it was all over. And like only God could, Jesus explains again and again what was foretold and how this was God's wonderful idea all along, and the story continues. I mean, you think it's kind of over, like here's the story of Jesus, and he's sending into heavens, and then you turn the pages, and the book of Acts starts, and Jesus is ascending into heaven, into the heavens, and it's as if that baton of Jesus is passed along to his disciples who passed it along to the next generation, who have been passing it along until you and I grabbed the baton, and now we're running. And some of you are like, yeah, Pastor Lance, but you're on your last leg at your age. You're, you're close to the finish line. That's how the first century believers carried on the message that's recorded and titled as the Acts of the Apostles. It's the continuing, the never-ending eternal story the continuing story of jesus and his purposes lived out in those who believed after he was taken up listen to the first words of acts chapter one which most people study the bible scholars think that was luke because uses the same kind of terminology but in the former book theophilus which means friend of god i put it in brackets there for you I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, right? Like it was so shocking. He had to kind of keep being patient and telling them again and and reminding them again, they didn't have podcasts of his teaching that they could listen to again. They, they, it wasn't printed in manuscript in some blogosphere where they could look at those words. They didn't have a little, you know, you um, version of the Bible on their iPhone. They, you know, there was like probably one script, one scripture per community that was in, in the local synagogue. And there were very few people that could ever study to, to know the words like, like you and I have the ability to know the words of God and to look them up. There was no concordance like Jim talked about a few weeks ago, uh, the importance of that, where we can now find a word, and because of that word, we can find all these Bible verses and go, oh, that was the one I was thinking of. By simply, those disciples, can you imagine their whole life, they just heard somebody reading from a scroll, 
And now Jesus is quoting all these passages, but nobody, they're all like, where's that scroll? What, what? By the time he mentioned one verse, you know, they wouldn't be able to find it except maybe one scholar, and then he'd be on to the next one. And I can imagine, like, say this all again, Lord. Uh, we're not familiar with these verses you're talking about. It's so unbelievable. Jesus has to go over it and over and over it again. And the master plan of God, and, and, and it says in the end of Luke, remember I read it, you might not remember, it doesn't matter. A few weeks ago I read it, and it said, he opened their minds to the scriptures, and then they could connect the dots. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I can't imagine trying to put all the pieces together for them without Google, without a place in the book, without a statement. He spends 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God, and at the end of Luke, says, here it is. And by the touch of the Holy Spirit, opens their minds up, and they all start going, wow, we get it now. All paving the way for the kingdom of God to be advancing. But here's a scary thing for them right away. Like, he opens their minds up to it, and he says, and they're all like, wow, okay, we see it. And he's like, see you later. <laughs> you know, I can imagine. I can't imagine. You're going to set up your kingdom here now, aren't you, Lord? Okay, we understand. We believe. You know, are you going to sit up in the temple now? We're, we're, or walk into the Holy of Holies where, where God's presence is. You could do that, Jesus. But, Lord, you're, you're, you're leaving us? Uh, hey, we just beginning to understand. We're not ready, Lord. We, 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 just got we, we just got you back, and we're realizing who you are and what you've done. And, and this is great news. Let's go again to all those places we had gone before, Lord. And now they'll believe, and they'll understand, and you'll be with us. And Jesus says, I will be with you. But not like this anymore. Wait in Jerusalem, and my Holy Spirit will fall upon you, and I will dwell in you. Must have been pretty scary. Because they saw what happened to Jesus when he didn't say things right. They put him on a cross. And those ignorant fishermen the same courage as Jesus, and they faced the cross. Many, of the, Most of the disciples all faced the cross just like Jesus. But the difference was they gave their bodies as a sacrifice offering to the Lord. He gave his body as a sacrifice for all of our sins for all eternity. Amen? That's my summary of the last few months of the book of Luke. Will you stand with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. In just a few moments, um, Dennis, we're going to be serving communion. So if you kind of want to get ready. did you, you knew that, didn't you, Dennis? You got the memo somewhere. Maddie, you told somebody, didn't you? Thank you. I talked to Carol. Carol talked to Maddie. Maddie got it ready. And then I didn't talk to anybody else. So just in a few moments, I'll call forward those, and, and I'll have you sit back down in just a few minutes, and we'll, 
we'll break communion, break bread together. We'll fellowship together around the, the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name. You're worthy. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. And we're going to distribute the elements at this moment. We believe in a, a theory of symbolism. I grew up in the Catholic Church where they believed in transubstantiation. I believe the elements actually turned into real flesh and real blood. That's why I guess it was a real serious. Go ahead and start to distribute in the sense of like seriously physical. And then the Lutheran Church believes in consubstantiation and they believe that it doesn't actually change or morph but when it's blessed that the spirit of the lord weaves in and around and through the elements i kind of like that that's kind of cool in our modern evangelical churches we believe the elements are symbolic and what is amazing is jesus body broken for us and what is amazing is the the blood of jesus that covers us so honestly none of them really matter to me how you view it as long as you're connecting to this, his body was broken for me. His blood covers my sins. So we just keep distributing, hold it all together, and then I'll lead you in one prayer in just a few moments of thanking him for his body and blood. As we hold the elements, we're going to take the symbolic bread and the cup at the same time, kind of start, start with the bread and then the cup. And... Uh, I guess my challenge would be to you today, um, try to connect that breaking bread more and more with each meal that you have, um, the sacredness, the thankfulness. I think that's a way that you could live out the scripture that says, whenever we come together, you know, and so for us, meals are kind of a gathering time, and we need to whisper the prayer of thanking the Lord for his body and blood more often in our family at our mealtimes. But, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. And we're, there's nothing good about us but, but you. And it's because of your sacrifice. It's because of your life. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. Help us to not be nonchalant about it. Help us to not... Um, to somehow to be able to be moved in our spirit, not just emotionally. Yeah, emotions come and go, but just be uh, confident in what you did. And that's where our strength to continue to go on, our, our ability to raise our hands in worship. It's not because we're pure. It's because you've forgiven us. You've made us pure and holy. We thank you for your body and blood. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You whisper your own words of thanks and Take the symbol of the bread, thanking him. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body. Thank you, Lord, for your friendship, followed by the cup, thanking him for his blood covering over your sin.
We're going to end with the offering, Joan. Just to give you the heads up, she's already passing me a check. If I do really good preaching part one, she gives me the check halfway through. It's a joke. Okay. <laughs> I don't preach for money, so there you go. The never-ending eternal story. I don't have many pages here, so don't get nervous that I'm just getting started on part two. Because I'm just recapping Luke and just kind of tipping my toes into Acts chapter 1. There's so much to be said about Jesus and the depth of his word. I've, You know, when you start calculating like 30 years of preaching and almost... I preached almost every week over those 30 years. Never missed a sermon for sickness, by the way, yet in my lifetime. So I preached one, I preached three Sundays with a broken leg before I went in and got it looked at. And that's a true story, isn't it, Joan? Thank you. Somebody was over there like, yeah, right. <laughs> like you need more than one leg to preach anyway. <laughs> I remember not too many weeks after Bible school and starting to be a young preacher in the 1990s, and I'd, I'd preach my heart out, and I'd think about these theology classes and what I wanted to say, and, man, I'd, I'd, I'd work so hard, and that message would be over, and I'd go, what am I going to say next week? And I'd go, okay, okay, okay. It wasn't too many weeks, I think 8 to 12 weeks, and I had nothing left. I was like, I'm out of material. I don't know what I'm going to say. I said all the good stuff I had stored up in me from those years of Bible school. And most Sundays when I'm done, even today, if you ask Joan, I go, boy, I'm worried about next week. I, I don't know what I'm going to have. What, what am I going to have to say again? The better the sermon, the more I think about this. I mean, if I bomb, I'm like, oh, well, I can try again next week. But quite often the devil tries to, like, freak me out. Like, fill me with worry. Sometimes I think I'll have nothing left to say, and yet then I open up the scriptures and prepare for our gathering, and God keeps helping me. The better I preach, the more God's helped me. And if I stink it up, hey, take it up with him. And pray and say, Lord, help him out for our sakes. Okay? But the content is there for more lifetimes than could be counted on this earth. The word of God is eternal. It's worth repeating over and over again. And, and the more you do sometimes, it's like breaking up the ground. It's like, like Hosea said, break up that dry, crusty ground so that seeds of righteousness can erupt out of you and, and fruit can come out of your life. That, that the, the more sometimes you, you repeat it over and over, it seeps into the soul and it begins to shape your life. And Jesus spends some 40 days after his resurrection teaching and reminding and convincing and preparing his followers for like, I won't be with you. I don't know if I told you that, but in, a few, in just a few moments, I'm gone. Acts chapter 1, where we left off, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him. Okay? And they say, Lord, 
Are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> We're really hoping now, Lord, because those Pharisees, they've been pushing us around. They've been threatening us. These Roman, these Roman emperors and these governors and these prefects, these local officials in all their pomp and circumstance, riding in on their white stallions, pushing us around. You're going to set up the kingdom now, aren't you, Lord? Right here? In, Israel, in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, on the hill, the Messiah arrival. This is going to be great, Lord. In other words, what's going to happen now? Tell us about the future, Lord. How, how much longer until these radical changes that you've talked about, the kingdom of God coming to birth? It's going to happen soon, isn't it, Lord? How much longer we'll get to be in your inner circle? Nobody's going to push us around like before. Not the religious prideful and not the arrogant pagan Romans. You'll stick it to those stuck-up religious leaders, won't you, Jesus? We'll defeat Rome and bring Israel back to a world power again. God's people, one God, one, one people, one voice, one heart of worship again. He said to them, his response, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. I'm sending you out again. That little trial run we did, that was just local ministry. Now I'm sending you all around the globe. And if his disciples didn't know the end and when it was going to happen, because Jesus said to them, don't worry about that stuff. Get ready to witness of the good news that you have found. And, it, and we should be cautious of some Bible scholar or television or Internet, you know, brilliant person who calculates how many days until the Mayan calendar's over? How many blood moons are left when the Jewish calendar runs out? When the final level of Fortnite is reached and synchronized with the 14 signs of the zombie apocalypse? This crowd woke up over here. He said Fortnite and zombies. I'm in. Friends, don't be distracted by the distractions. We have a mission right in front of us. Be the witness until the end. No matter what happens in your lifetime or what doesn't happen, we are on a need-to-know basis with what's going to unfold in the end times. And honestly, we don't need to know. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't need to know. Look at your neighbor and say, mind your own business. But live like it's the end. Live like these are the last days. After this, verse 9, I just imagine it like, we're just getting started, Jesus. We're, we're going to get to set all these things straight, and then got to go. Wait, no, no. John's looking at Matthew like, 
us, just him? No. They're looking at each other like, well, he wasn't chosen yet, but and Judas is gone. But help me think of some names. Philip, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, Lance was in there. James, I think. Lancelot, I think he was some famous old guy. After he said this, he's taken up in front of their very eyes in a cloud from their sight. Not yet, Lord, we're not ready. And they were looking intently up into the sky. When two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, why do you stand there staring up into the sky? Wake up. You're slobbering on yourself. This same Jesus who was taken from you into the heaven will come back in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. He is coming back through the clouds, friends. I don't know how. I, I, picture, I, just, I picture God showing his wonder so awesome that it will be the clearest skies around the whole globe. There won't be a cloud in the sky. It'll be like the clearest sky you've ever seen, and then that will open up. And someone steps out of heaven, you know, like a new color, a new brightness we've never imagined that normally you couldn't even take in with your human eye because the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that God is going to open up the heavens, so to speak, and reveal the power of his majesty, the wonder of who he is. People of God. I would say to you, you should say to me, stop gazing towards the stage. Stop looking up into the skies and wondering with some human understanding of God's plan. When God has said, you have a mission right here. You have a job to do. You must keep working, serving, sharing this good news. Let's not get caught up in trying to figure out when or how the end will unfold, but work while it's yet day, because the night is coming. Our days of shining for him are coming to a close. I understand the urgency uh, that, that sometimes those end days try to spur in us. We're supposed to have that. All, that's supposed to be how we live. That's the parable of the, the, the ten virgins, those that were waiting for the bride to come. You know, they, they kept their lantern. They were watching, and the ones who went to sleep and forgot and fell into a slumber and were bored, they, they missed his arrival. But if you stay alert and working, uh, you'll be paving the way for his return. You'll be a part of his will unfolding on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty awesome. We stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Would you just sit back down? We're going to keep singing that for a moment. I forgot to receive the offering, and Joan has a big, giant check up here in the front row. And let's end with that good spirit of worship that God has given to us and uh, has just asked for the first and best part of our lives, our time, our talent, our energy. And uh, so this offering isn't for me. It's not for the church. This offering's for you to give to God. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless this offering. And as we end this little segment of our worship today, may, your wor may our lives be woven with the Spirit of God through our cars, where we eat lunch, 
and uh, how we continue to interact throughout this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you give. Uh, You're good to us, Lord. We thank you. Whisper thanks to God right now in your place as your dismissal prayer in Jesus' name. May your goodness rest. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day of lunch with your families or some friends or invite yourself along with other people. Continue to walk in his goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.